Amen. Okay, so, as you know, church, I'd like to encourage you to read the Word of God as much as you can and to pray. And by the way, you know when you read the Word of God and you pray, what it's, all, all you're doing is being reminded that it's all been paid for, all your sins have been paid for in Christ. That's why we do it. We do it as a reminder that all the victory has been done in Jesus. So, here's what I want you to read. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Verses 4 through 7, chapter 3. Read that this week. Chew on it. See what God brings to your mind. And also, how's it been finding that prayer partner this week? Have you found someone to pray with every day to remind you that it's all been done in Jesus? I pray that you have. And if you haven't, start today. Just start praying. Find someone. Because I tell you, prayer is a reminder that are of a full dependence upon Jesus. That's what it does. That's the benefit. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer, speaking of prayer, as we go to hear His message today. Heavenly Father, we come before You just so thankful, Lord, for the fact that we can come together like this, come freely and joyfully and God, I, I pray that whatever, whatever has happened before we even walked through those doors and, and sat down or, or turned on the screen online, Lord, that whatever, whatever burdens, whatever things that we have done that might be messing with our hearts, that you remind us that you want us here. You want us to come to you. That you love us. That's why you sent your son to die for us. So we can come to you as weak and needy people. Solely dependent upon your grace. Lord, there's a lot of burdens, there's a lot of woes, there's a lot of worries, but I pray that they are uplifted today by reflecting on who you are. God, be with those uh, who are the, the different churches that are meeting across the world, Lord, all the other Christians around the world meeting, whether on rooftops or underground or in deserts or in fear or, or, or uh, uh, worried of the, the, the government, Lord. God, be with them. Remind them that your sovereign hand is with them. Uplift them, Lord. God, I also ask that you be with just the missionaries as they go about their work. Have the people's hearts ready to hear the word. God, be with our own nation, Lord, as we go through so many different things and different changes and and lots of arguments and strange times, Lord. Have the Christians arise to declare your beauty, grace, and majesty. That people can see there is hope and his name is Jesus. God, we pray that you convict us of our sins, expose what's there, Lord. The the sins that we do, we don't even realize that we just think they're a part of life. Help us see it so we can turn away from the sins and run to you. So we can be filled with love and hope and peace and live out the faith consistently, Lord, in this inconsistent world. And so we can take rest in your grace. Bless us today, especially with all the events going on. Help us focus on what you want us to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, you know, the gospel message, the message of God's grace is the most remarkable message that you will ever hear. The the gospel is good news for mankind and is the only answer that can save mankind. For this message is all about how Christ has come to this earth willingly to live 
life, a a perfect life that you and I could not live. He came and lived a holy and righteous life, a sinless life, keeping all of God's commands and all of His expectations on our behalf so that He could atone for our sins and pay off our debt to God, taking upon Himself the eternal wrath that we deserve by dying in our place upon a cross. And then he came back to life three days later to prove that he had conquered both the power of sin and death so that he could offer eternal life and forgiveness to any who believe upon him, to any who place their faith and their trust in him alone. See, the gospel says Christ has taken the burdens that you could not uphold or handle on your own. He has met all of the expectations upon you that you could not meet. He has fought the fight that you could not win. And He has obtained the freedom that you could not get on your own. He has alone secured the absolute and only path of being free from this world of sin and death so you can be reconciled to God and have nothing but His love and favor upon you. Christ did it all. He has obtained it all. So you can just live by faith in Him and know that whatever the outcome of your life is, whatever hurdles may come your way, whatever, your fail, whatever failures that may await you, whatever your stresses are, or whatever your woes are, whatever your heartaches are, whatever failed and train wreck relationships that you are dealing with right now, whatever incompleteness that's being exposed to you, whatever your sins that you fall into that are being revealed in your life, whatever the case, the good news is that if you have faith in Christ, All of it has been forgiven and it only works for your favor now to bring you closer to God. Christ's perfect life has covered every part of your life, your past, your present, and your future. For in Christ, you can truly have rest for your weary souls and true freedom from this world of sin and death. If you have faith in Christ, you no longer have to worry about making it in this world, or becoming something, or becoming someone. You don't have to worry about making a name for yourself, or leaving a legacy. No longer do you have to worry about getting people's approval, or worrying about finding security, or confirmation, or establishment in this world. The exhausting, never-ending burden of trying to obtain and trying to get more and be more and secure more, all has been met in Christ. So we can fully rest in Him by faith alone. For everything we are, everything we do, everything we become, everything about us solely depends upon what Christ did and His finished work for us. All through faith in Him. Christ was broken so you can be made whole. He died so you can have life. He now lives so you can be free. 
That is the hope of the gospel that uplifts our weary souls. It calms our worried minds and binds our broken hearts. So when you dwell on this gospel message, it should make all the problems of your life seem so small. It should give you encouragement and boldness to keep going and not get caught up in life's trivial problems. Or even the big problems. Or the scary problems. It should free you to give yourself away and to invest in people. Not looking for anything in return because you know you have everything in Christ. For He is our dignity. He is our security. He is our hope. He is our joy, our peace, our comfort, our strength, our power, and our sustainer. All through faith alone in Him. But that is the biggest problem, isn't it? We so easily forget the message of the gospel that Christ has done everything for us and will supply everything for us as we live in this world by faith in Him. So we don't need to worry and live in fear or worry or hate or discouragement. And sadly, this message of the gospel too quickly just becomes a common thing in us or to us or a simple message in our life, or just another piece of information that we store up in our brain and then we pull out once in a while, maybe at Easter or maybe at Christmas. Because we deceive ourselves and are enticed by the world that we think we need to move on to bigger and better things. We buy into this lie that there are more pressing matters at hand that need all your attention and all that gospel stuff. That doesn't really apply to practical life, like your job or your family life or your love life or your financial life or your schooling or your hobbies or your friends and so on and so on. And that's why we get ensnared in all of our sins, in all of our worries, in all of our fears, in all of the hate in this world around us. We think we're strong enough on our own now, and we can leave that stuff behind. But the problem is you're not strong. You are weak. We are weak and are in need of a Savior every day and always. We regularly forget that we can do nothing without faith in Christ. For He alone has done it all for us. So we need to constantly trust in Him and His gospel message for everything. And if you think I'm nuts, like, I don't think, I don't like what you're saying. Look, Jesus Christ said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, For apart from me, you can do nothing. So today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 through the end, uh, at the end of verse 3 through verse 5. We're going to see how we can keep this gospel message of grace at the forefront of our minds or at the center of our minds and our hearts as we live in this world so we don't get entangled in our sins, in the world, in the worldly troubles, or even just the world's troubles. But rather, we can boldly and restfully live in, in, in Christ by faith alone, no matter what comes our way or what the circumstances of our life may look like. So today's sermon title is, Grow in Trusting in God's Grace. So we're going to look at the text. 
And see how Paul then is encouraging the churches in Ephesus to grow in trusting in God's grace and see how it all applies to their own life. Now remember, okay, remember this. We are looking at the last part of verse 3 of chapter 2. So he has been building up to this point. So he ends verse 3 by saying something very particular and very meticulous to grab your attention And he reveals a very sobering and heavy, disturbing truth of mankind that shows man's desperate need of a Savior. He says at the end of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, "And, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is probably one of the most devastating passages in all of the Bible. Because it shows the true outcome of the human race if we are left to our sins without Christ in our life. There is no hope without Jesus. All we have before us is the wrath of God just patiently waiting for us. Now remember, he's writing to believers, people who believe in the gospel message now. So, He says, and were, and were children of wrath. Meaning, this is not our state now if we have faith in Christ. And this brings us to our first point. To grow in trusting in God's grace, you need to remember what you were saved from. So when we look at this last part of this verse, Paul is saying, before you knew Christ, and I want to make this clear, This was your description. This was you. No matter what you may have thought of yourself, no matter what others may have thought of you, no matter how much good you have done in this world, no matter how much you achieved for yourself or for others, no matter matter how much you sacrificed or were sincere, no matter if you were living a moral life, just keeping to yourself. This was your state before God. You were by nature a child of wrath. Paul is describing all Christians before they knew Jesus by faith in him. And just to make it clear that he is speaking about all Christians prior to knowing Jesus, so that no one could say, surely that's not a description of me before I knew Jesus. No. Paul drops the terrifying truth. That really, this is the state of all people. It is the state of all human beings. Which is why he says, like the rest of mankind. This is a statement that is not to be taken jokingly or lightly, but very seriously. For Paul is saying that the world has a major problem. And it's that all people, no matter who they are or what they've done, all are considered by nature children of wrath because of their sin. This is an inclusive statement for everyone. No matter what religion they follow, what philosophy of life they may adhere to, or what politics they may pursue, what virtues they may hold dear, or what morals they may live by. All people, no matter their age, their ethnicity, their status, their physical or mental state, all people without Christ in their life are children of wrath because all people are sinners. All people are doomed to the wrath of God 
They are doomed to this condemnation and judgment for eternity for their sins. Revelation 14.11 gives some disturbing visual imagery of what that wrath of God looks like or, or a small depiction of what that may be. It says, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. That is just one of the many passages that speak of the wrath of God that is the doom of all people without Jesus. So Paul is very particular on how he worded this last part of verse 3. Notice he did not say people of wrath or humans of wrath, but by nature children of wrath. Paul is saying in a very abrasive and disturbing way that all people that when they are born are on a direct course for God's wrath because of their sinful nature. Before we knew Christ, God's wrath was so close to us, so intertwined with us and over us that it could be seen, Paul is saying, as our parent. Because by nature, we are children of wrath. You know the close relationship of a parent and a child. Well, the wrath was our parent, and we were its child. God's wrath was all we knew and all we could look forward to because the more we lived, the more we sinned. And sin just builds more and more of the wrath of God upon us in which one day He will execute on the final day of judgment. That is the sad truth that we all have to face before we knew Christ. We were all doomed to our sin and would have to face the eternal death, the eternal devastating, overwhelming wrath of God. Since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, man has since then rejected God and said they want nothing to do with Him in their life. All humans think they can live on their own and do things their own way by their own standards. All people now think they can live independently of God, the God of the Bible. And so men fall more and more into sin. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. That's why we die. So let me put it bluntly what Paul's getting at here. God is the mighty, perfect judge to whom we all must give an account to. For God is holy, just, and righteous. So He must and will punish all sin by His wrath. So He will judge all of our works, all of our thoughts, all of our words, our actions, all of our emotions, everything we've looked at, everything we just touched, everything He will judge about us to His perfect and holy standard. And because of our sin, if left to our own, by ourselves, to defend ourselves on judgment day when we'll stand face to face, we will fail that perfect standard. Which is why Paul says we are by nature children of wrath. For God's wrath is all that we will be worthy of when we meet Him face to face if we don't have Jesus. God demands perfection, not progression. I don't care how much better you're getting. That's, that's what God, God doesn't care how much better you are. He wants perfection. Only perfect people can get into heaven. For God is perfect and therefore you need to be perfect. You'd be like, I don't like what you're saying, Jonathan. Well, Jesus said it, not me. 
Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This means that you can't have one mess up, one failure, one sin. For if you do, if you have one tiny mistake, you lose perfection, you lose purity. And sadly, everything is stacked against us for we are born with a sinful nature right off from the beginning of our life, which automatically disqualifies us of being pure and perfect before God. It says in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So on top of just having a sinful nature then, as you live your life, if you have ever committed a lustful thought, if you ever had pride in your heart, if you ever acted selfishly, if you ever gossiped, if you ever cheated, if you ever hated someone, if you ever were unkind to someone, or were ever ungrateful, or ever slandered someone, or ever envied someone, or ever held on to a grudge, or not loved someone as much as you should have, or helped someone out as much as you could have, or ignored someone because you judged them with a false judgment, or simply not just given thanks or honor to God, that he deserves. And the list of sins could go on and on. If any of these things that you did, they'll all be held against you because this is what builds up God's wrath upon you. So no matter what, you are doomed to the wrath of God because he demands perfection. And he must punish sin. And we're all guilty of these, including myself. All those lists, just pure description of even who I am. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not good out of a lot of things, but man, I'm sure good at sinning. It comes so easy. I don't even have to practice. I just do it. And what makes matters worse is that no matter how much good you do, it's always polluted by sin. For even the good things we do, even those things will fall short of God's standards because we are never perfect. There's always room for improvement. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Now you, may, now, you might be thinking, well, that is not me. I have lived a pretty good life, John. That is not me before I knew Christ. My friend, listen to me. If we put everything from the past until now that ran through your mind or through your heart and put it up on this screen, let alone put your whole life up on this screen, I know for a fact there would be things in your life that you would not want us to see. There would be things that you are trying to forget. And that if those, clo- if, if those closest to you saw what you thought or what you felt or what you did, even they would condemn you and disassociate themselves from you. And that's just with man's flawed, imperfect judgment of you. I mean, you see it happen all in our culture today. There are people that are canceled left and right because of something they did 30 years ago. Imagine what they did if they start pricking into your life. And that's just with man. How much worse and how much more painful and shameful to think that there is a perfect God that will judge us. 
What could you possibly bring to the heavenly court to justify yourself before the holy and righteous God that you should enter His heavenly perfect kingdom? For James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become accountable for all of it. So if you're starting to realize and starting to see the utter hopelessness of mankind before God, understand that's what Paul's trying to get you to see. He wants you to realize that mankind is only worthy of God's eternal wrath. There is nothing good within us because because we wanted nothing to do with Him. For all people have rejected God and rejected His ways and gone their own way, making their own gods in some form of fashion, whether that be themselves being their own gods, meaning that they do things their way for their own personal benefit as if they're the most important person or thing on this planet. I'm sure no one ever does that. Or whether they're worshiping some other false idol or God created in their own image. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. Now, with this weighty truth that all men deserve only God's condemnation, and if we're honest with ourselves, we know that to be true. And so does Paul. And this, and this is where the gospel becomes so freeing and so burden-lifting and refreshing and rejuvenating and empowering and also so perplexing. Because again, all mankind deserves All mankind deserves only wrath from God. So he's completely just to just condemn everyone. But that is not the outcome of what happens. That is not the logical consequence for men rejecting God from their life. For our very existence, remember, our very existence right now is one that says God is a fool and matters not. For our very lives, say God, our lives are better without God in our life. So we would ex- it would be expected that God should abandon us and should condemn us all, for He knows everything about us and knows that we want nothing to do with Him. And yet that is not the conclusion that Paul gives. That is not the conclusion of this passage that we read. Paul says the most uplifting and yet mind-boggling thing imaginable in Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. And that brings us to our second and last point. To grow in trusting in God's grace by remembering what God has done for you. He says in verses 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And this is so hard to comprehend because it doesn't make sense. Paul reveals that God is not some stoic personality that is far off and has no interaction with His creation or concern for His creation. God is not indifferent to those who reject Him and are indifferent towards Him. But rather, God is rich in mercy, rich in compassion towards the very ones who are disgusted with Him. He has, as Paul says, a great love for sinners. 
Paul reveals that God has a deep, great love for vile, wretched, perverted, lying, nasty, prideful, arrogant, envious, lustful, hateful, self-righteous, evil people. See, notice that it says, because of the great love in which He loved us. We were not lovable when He loved us. Paul has been absolutely clear about that. There was nothing in us lovable. We were sinners. Yet God has a great love for us. Or to put it bluntly, He has an unfathomable, incomprehensible love that goes beyond explanation for us sinners. For it was out of His love for sinners that He sent His Son to die for us. Not that He sent Jesus and then loved us. He loved us, that's why He sent His Son. To free us from the power of sin and death and the wrath to come. That's what makes the Gospel such great news. We could not save ourselves and we did not deserve to be saved. Yet God loved us. We could not save ourselves and we did not deserve to be saved. Yet God loved us. And He provided everything for us to be saved by sending His Son to die for us, to die in our place. To have God's judicial wrath, eternal wrath, be placed upon His Son in our place, even though He was innocent and we were the guilty ones. God's love for sinners is seen in the cross. That is the proof that God loves wretched people like you and me. And that is the crazy part of all this, is that He loves sinners. He delighted in sending His Son to save us and die in our place. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of His inheritance? He does not retain His anger forever, but delights in steadfast love. God takes joy in saving evil people. Evil people. And you're like, John, wait a minute. That's too far. You've gone too far. You're out. How can a holy God love evil sinners? There must be something good in them in which he loved. There must have been some, some, the people he loved must have been a little bit better than the rest. You know, people who are doing okay. No, my friend. There was nothing good in us to love. And Paul makes sure that we realize this and get that because he says again in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It was when you were at your worst that God gave you His best and delighted in it. God gave to you His deep love. He sent His Son for you, even though you did not and still do not deserve it. You were a sinner, dead in your sin. And your sinful way of life was all about doing whatever you could do to not be dependent upon God, to not be dependent upon the God of the Bible. You were at your worst when God gave you His best, His love. How freeing is that? That God, out of His love for you, made a way for you to be free because you could not and would not free yourself. God, out of His love for you, made sure to save you for you could not and would not save yourself. 
all out of his rich mercy and great love for you. That is what makes Christianity so unique and interesting and reveals the absolute beauty and glory of our God. For he has done all of this for you so you can be with him for eternity. It's so perplexing that a holy God loves evil sinners. You deserve nothing of it, for you didn't even want it. And yet God has a great love for you and is rich in mercy over you. And if you think, is that really true? That God did all of this out of love for me so he can reveal his absolute glory and beauty. Paul says, yes. By saying in verse 5, by grace you have been saved. See, Christianity says that man is helpless and is always helpless. He cannot climb his way to God. He cannot earn or merit anything to bring to God. God is not on top of a mountain screaming down, saying, you come up here to me. But rather, he comes running after us as we are running away from him. And he embraces us with his gracious love to melt our hearts and gently carries us up the mountain because we can't do it ourselves. See, Paul is saying God's grace is bigger than your sins. He's bigger than your failures and bigger than your inconsistencies. God loved you before you were saved, and he's still loving you now that you are saved. Nothing is going to stop that, for you are saved by grace alone. And the word saved here literally means continually. So to put it bluntly, Paul is saying this love for you began by God's unmerited favor over you before you were saved. And it will continue over you because it's still unmerited by you even after you're saved. There is nothing that you could do to earn his love before you were saved. He he just had a great love for you. And there's nothing you can do to earn it or keep it after you're saved because he just has a great love for you. For you are saved and justified by His grace. You are sanctified by His grace. You are glorified by His grace. All of this is unmerited, not earned by you. For all of it has been merited and earned by Christ for you through faith in Him alone. Notice this whole passage is about what God has done for you through Christ, not what you can do. For being a Christian is not about what you do, but who you trust. For everything God has commanded and demanded of you, He has provided for you in Jesus. So we are to trust in Christ alone for everything we are and everything we do. We trust in Christ's works, His performance on our behalf. For we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, leaving everything else alone. But we want to grab onto everything else. Just Christ. Christ has provided everything we need to make it in this world and to make it into heaven all by faith in Him alone. So here's the conclusion. Here's what what this all means. If you have faith in Christ, follow me, if you have faith in Christ and you are realizing the sins that you have committed this past week, I mean, maybe you have messed up hard and are really starting to see the sins you have committed in your heart. Maybe you have been promiscuous. 
Maybe you have hardened your heart to those who have hurt you. Maybe you have failed to love your spouse or your children or your grandchildren or, the, or your family the way you should have and had been rude or unkind to them. Maybe you are seeing that you have been mistreating people recently, that have become more concerned about yourself at the expense of others. Maybe you have had had hateful words come out of your mouth or hateful thoughts in your heart. Maybe you have fallen into fear or worry this week and are living in it. Take comfort in God's grace over you and know this, He still loves you despite it all. Despite of all of that, His favor has not left you, but is still fully upon you. Why? Because you have been completely forgiven by faith in Christ. So your sins are not held against you. You are truly free from the power of this world, the power of sin and death, and are free from the wrath to come. So since you have been freed by faith in Christ, you can turn from those things and turn to Jesus by trusting in Him, by looking to Him to change your heart towards those sins, to find all your fulfillment in Him and all your fulfillment in His love and grace and mercy over you rather than in those things. So stop beating yourself up. Stop trying to be strong in yourself and realize you are weak and you are needy. And Christ knew this and this is why He has taken all the punishment that you would ever deserve upon that Christ, uh, on the cross. And in return, He has given you His grace. Stand firm in that truth that you have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and all the sins you have ever committed and will commit have already been forgiven by Christ so you can rest in Him. And if you don't know Christ, if you have not placed your faith in Him yet, know this, He can forgive you of all your sins too. And you can experience just His love and favor and grace from the Lord and be free from this world of sin and death. No one is too far gone to be forgiven. God's grace is bigger than your sin. So I want to leave you with this quote which I think kind of sums up everything we've spoken about here today. The person said this, Christianity is not about a good idea on how to live. It isn't a program for living. It's more than that. It's an announcement of what God has done. Oh, how I pray we grow in trusting in the grace of God more and more every day so we can truly see how free we are in Him. Let us go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for the Gospel. Thank You for the message of Your grace, that You love sinners. It's so perplexing. We don't even love evil people, but You do. And that's what gives us hope. That's the message we take to the world. That's the message that this world needs. That's the message that we need every day. Because, Lord, we know that's the message that changes us by relying upon your grace. Lord, I pray right now, if there's people here in this room that don't know you, that they confess their sins, they admit that they are a sinner in need of grace, and they put their faith in your Son, that he died for them and came back to life that he lived a perfect life for them so they can just trust in you and know that you'll get them, that he'll get them into heaven. 
God, I pray if people are struggling here in this room that may have walked away or maybe were just here because they just didn't know where else to go and they're just not feeling it, they're not... God, I pray that you go to them and say that you're with them, that they don't need to worry. They just need to trust in you and you're taking care of everything. Lord, I pray that for those who are struggling in this room, that maybe their, their relationships, their life situation, their, their, their work situation, or their physical situation, it just seems to be falling apart. God, remind them that it's not. It's falling into place so they'll, they'll trust in you. God, I pray we never treat that message of the gospel as common or see it as something small, but see it as all-encompassing in everything that we do so we can be free and uplifted and joyful and smile at the world and say Jesus has done it all. We pray this in your son's name.